Holly Phillips' debut thriller, My Best Friend's Murder, deals with frenemies, Beck and Izzy, who've been best friends forever. But there's a darker side to their friendship, and Beck is about to reach breaking point. Welcome to the joys of binge reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and in Binge Reading Today, Polly talks about the uncomfortable reality of intimate friendships that turn toxic, and the challenges of plotting a suspenseful domestic thriller. But before we get to Polly, just a reminder, Binge Reading is now on Patreon. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can support the show and get exclusive bonus content about books you won't want to put down and the authors who write them. Check out the links to Binge Reading on our website, thejoysofbingereading.com, where you'll also find links to Polly's books and online media. But now, here's Polly. Hello there, Polly, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Look, you've done this amazing thing as a debut novelist. You've had a stellar arrival on the publishing scene when so many hundreds and thousands of authors labour to get themselves noticed. Your first book, My Best Friend's Murder, became like the most anticipated, one of the most anticipated novels of 2021. How did that feel? Oh, it felt amazing. I mean, it's so difficult to tell. As you say, there's sort of hundreds of thousands of books being published all the time and you only have your own experience to go by. You have no idea what's normal and what's what's not normal and how you're doing. It's, it's, a, it's a very funny feeling because there's obviously so many books being published, but you almost feel like you're the only one in terms of knowing what to expect. So on the day itself, the day that I was published in, well, in Australia and, and New Zealand as a whole, but sort of WA specifically to me, I we had our neighbours over for a couple of glasses of champagne, which was really nice. I felt particularly lucky because I'm, I'm from London and, and all of my friends um, and family were still in lockdown in London. So um, I knew that I wouldn't, if the situation um, were in London, I wouldn't be able to go to a bookshop. So I went to as many bookshops as possible, begged them all to let me sign whatever I could. Um, <laughs> I'd have signed the walls. And then I went for um, just a really nice low-key supper with my husband and my daughter. So it was lovely. Lovely. And so then it got picked up by people like, I mean, it was mentioned on CNN and Opera and quite a few of the high profile shows, I think. Was that right? Oh, I'm not sure. I hope so. Yeah, I saw that online somewhere that that was what had happened. <laughs> oh, I have to check those out myself. As I say, you don't really know in this glass bubble. I mean, I've sort of tried to stop Googling my own name because it's a bit like eavesdropping at doors that no good will come of it almost. But no, I mean, it's, it, it's an incredible feeling, I think. Even just the idea that someone that you don't know and that has no connection to you is not doing it to be nice, is not um, trying to do you a favour that they might read these words and characters that have started in your head is just wonderful. Yeah, that's right. Look, My Best Friend's Murder, it explores a kind of toxic friendship between two women. And the underlying tension between them at the beginning is sort of 
there but slight, but it really ramps up over the course of the book. And I think a lot of people may have had the uncomfortable sense of a friendship that they consider to be close and intimate going awry. Is this something you've experienced yourself personally? Yeah, sadly, sadly it is. And I think what's interesting is I've met, I've been really lucky, I've met quite a few readers. And even in the early days, my my book won a um, won a competition in Dubai where I was living at the time and people came up to me afterwards and said, this is me, this has happened to me. And I sort of said, me too. And I think that's what I was trying to get across in the, in the book, this, this slow burn. Of course, if our friends were horrible to us right from the offing, they wouldn't stay our friend. But it's this sort of subtle way it just creeps in. And I, I had a very intense friendship as, as a teenager, as I think lots of us do. And we were inseparable and finished each other's sentences and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, sadly, it did, it did go a bit sour. It's something about envy, I guess, and and feeling that you're succeeding more than they are or you've got a boyfriend that they sort of envy or or those little things that creep in. And that's the kind of thing that happens in My Best Friend's Murder, isn't it? Yes, it is. And actually, funnily enough, quite a lot of my school friends um, have read it. Lots of them under pain of death, of course, must read it. But some of them have read it independently and they can pick out quite a lot of the bits and say that really happened didn't it and oh I recognize this bit and and almost everyone that I went to school with embarrassingly even people I'm not particularly close to who've um contacted me maybe on social media they all say it's so and so isn't it so obviously wasn't as uh, good at um <laughs> concealing it as I wanted to be <laughs> So in that situation, do you either confirm or deny? (laughs) I think it depends how close I am to the person. But I I mean, I think that probably just in case she might happen to be listening, I'm sure she's not. But I think the thing about these toxic friendships, and maybe I, I hope that I've managed to bring out in the book, is that it does take two to tango. And I think much as the friend that I'm no longer in contact with who inspired the book sort of hurt me and maybe sort of did these sort of little slights and ebbed away sort of... Uh, chipped away at my confidence I was probably without meaning to doing the same to her and I think there's sort of that level of toxicity it brings out the worst in you and maybe that's the worst thing about it it's not what they're doing to you it's what you're making yourself become yes and that that's interesting because the two key characters they're both sort of slightly edgy in in a, in a way Beck who's the one who feels that her best friend is betraying her she's irritatingly needy at times and <laughs> And the one who sort of wields the power is sometimes creepily controlling. I I really love the scenes where she slams post-it notes all over the place (laughs) when she goes to babysit to make sure that she does everything absolutely correctly. Did you feel that there was a risk in making these two key characters a little bit less than madly likeable? I suppose it, it wasn't an intentional thing to start with in that sort of first draft when you're just scribbling the story down as it comes to you and almost telling it to yourself. I think what I wanted to do was make them real. And I think nobody, I think often in literature, particularly in in thrillers, that you can sort of get characters that can be a bit cardboard cut out and you sort of got the goodie and the baddie. Whereas I think in My Best Friend's Murder that there isn't really a goodie or a baddie or it's sort of both of them, as you say, can be quite unlikable. Although uh, initially she did change a lot, but Beck was slightly inspired by me. So it was a bit um, gutting to have my close to the beta readers say, God, she's so annoying, isn't she? I was thinking, I suppose so. Maybe look at my own behaviour as well as drafting. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. Now, you mentioned about the first draft and I was really struck. I mean, there was a great surprise twist near the end 
and lots of twists going through the story as well. How do you approach that sort of planning side of it, plotting? Are you an outliner or do you allow the story to unfold more organically? I think I'm an outliner, although it's interesting because I'm writing my third book at the moment. My second book is all done and dusted and waiting for its waiting for its structural. Actually, no, it's, we've had the structural edit, so just it's with the editor, so on track to be published next year. So I'm actually on my first draft of, of book three, and I always would have described myself as such an outliner. I don't think I've got the confidence to let the sort of plot take me, but actually... I'm um, I'm sort of slightly doing something that's doing a little bit differently um, in book three. There is a lot more freedom of, of writing and, and it is plotted out, but in various sort of bold strokes. Lots is changing as I go along, which is quite a nice way of doing it and very different for me. And so how many drafts do you end up doing? Well, that's such a tricky question because they, they bleed into each other, I think, because I do do some editing as I go along, but at least at least three or four, I'd say. Yes, yeah. Which is depressing when you're on the first draft. (laughs) (laughs) But also freeing because you know that if it's terrible, you've still got plenty of room to make changes. Definitely. definitely. And I think perhaps a journalistic background partly makes you a bit of an outliner at the beginning because you're used to working to a fairly structured sort of expectation of what how, how things have to be structured if that's a terribly messy way to put it but journalists I think sometimes are inclined to be more outliners. No I think that's a really interesting point actually and, and I think there are lots of those skills that do that you learn as a journalist that do even though it's a completely different type of writing to write a fiction some of the skills do play across I think you get really good at working to deadlines as a journalist, which is definitely helping me. I'm, I'm sort of lucky to be on book three before book two's even got a cover yet. And also rejection. I suppose you get really good at rejection. <laughs> yeah, actually, that raised the issue. When you have a book that really has had a lot of success as a debut, then you're probably lucky that you finished book two, that you kind of have that out of the way because some people do fall a bit at that book two, don't they? They have such high expectations of themselves. Yes, definitely. I think they call it the sort of the difficult second child. I've got lots of, I've I've been really lucky along the writing journey to have met certainly online because of the sort of the state of the world at the moment, but met a lot of other debut authors and some of them are really struggling with book two. But I was given some advice at the beginning, which was almost as soon as you finish book one, get started on book two because it's so much easier to write it when you're not under the lens of how your first book's doing and and as you say when when the book's doing well obviously you sort of you're feeling quite buoyant but you are still distracted by it and and it it, I I felt lucky to write book two in a bubble yes yes lockdown bubble (laughs) first got you started writing fiction was there an epiphany moment where you thought oh I I don't want to just do non-fiction for the rest of my life did did something act as a catalyst for that oh good question yes probably a lot of things but I think I made the terrible mistake of telling everyone I was going to write a book long before I put um, pen to paper, which is, a, which is that would be my number one piece of advice. Don't tell people until you've properly started, because then I had a lot of people say, oh, how's the book going? Or something. And so, so I wanted to write for a long time and, and just didn't have, I guess, I guess the patience or I, I just I talked about it and didn't do it. And then in I think it must have been 2016. My husband was made redundant and we had to move. Um, we were living in Copenhagen at the time and we, we had to move back to London and he had to move to Algeria. So I had sort of long stretches of being home alone, um, no company. I mean, I've, I've, and I, my daughter was very small at the time, so no company in the evenings except for her. 
she wasn't a great conversationist at that point sort of obviously fairly home homebound and I thought if I don't do it now I'm, I'm never going to do it this is my one chance I've got to stop putting it off and and yeah I suppose that was the epiphany moment that was the kind of now or never yeah that's great so why did you choose psychological thriller as your genre is that also what you like to read yourself oh I love reading psychological thrillers oh I found them I love getting lost in a book and a good psychological thriller you can get really lost in but I think when I originally started writing my best friend's murder it was not going to be a thriller there was going to be no murder so obviously it had a different title I just wanted to look at the toxicity between the friends and and I think it had a very different ending and it was a lot more speculative and then I was lucky enough to win this competition and one of the prizes was to sit down with the judge who was a literary agent from London and he said you've got to have a murder <laughs> really can I maybe, maybe just an no it's got to be a murder and that sort of changed the, the path of the book and by that point I I'd been writing for a couple of years I'd actually started another book and put it aside and I, and I sort of thought what's most important here is it to get published is that would that be the realization of the dream I, I, I thought that it would be so I was happy to take that advice on board and now I love writing thrillers I can't imagine writing anything else now because I, I love that they have their own structure they've got your beginning your middle and your end because you want to know what happens yes yes that's great so was it a big effort to have to rewrite that first draft to make it a thriller luckily I hadn't got too far with it I think I was about oh I don't know a third of the way in and because of those sort of elements of sort of bitchy backstabbing between the two it, it it made sense once he'd said it I sort of thought yeah of course how could it how could it not be so no they sort of without sounding too cliche they they almost wrote themselves <laughs> that's great so when you're in that situation say you're at home you've got a child what helps to fuel your creative spark? You just can't sit there being a mum and, and writing at night by yourself. What fuels your creative spark? And how do you did you give yourself to space to recharge as well? Sugar is probably the <laughs> Sugar is a definite fuel for me. I think, well, I was lucky in that she, she did start going to nursery a few days a week. So I did have a bit of a few daylight hours. And I think what really fueled it, I suppose, was wanting having a story that I wanted to tell. As I say, I had started this other book and I finished it. I mean, it's still in my sort of under my bed, metaphorically. And it was so much harder to write because I just couldn't get the story. It just wasn't authentic. And I suppose I wasn't as invested in it, perhaps, or for whatever reason, it just the words didn't come. And, and that was a slog. That was hard to sit down at the computer and start typing and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. Whereas My Best Friend's Murder, because it was a story that I so wanted to tell, I wanted to look at how these friendships can can affect us and how it's the people that we love the most do have the power to hurt us the worst so that sort of I, I suppose that fueled it that and that and biscuits yeah and then my child probably my daughter probably gave me the time off because I think she was about two or three so you know there was no when she was around there was no writing so it was a definite switch off at that point that kind of codependent it's a bit of a codependent relationship isn't it and it probably is also sometimes typical of adolescence, although I, I dare say it does happen in, in later life as well. Yes, exactly. And I think often these toxic friendships are formed when we are teenagers or um, even younger than that, when we're sort of, I suppose, the criteria by which we're drawn to people or that we choose our friends by is completely different. I, mean, I was laughing about this with a friend the other day and sort of saying that to some extent our childhood friends, often we became friends with them because they had the same la or the same initial of last name as we did. So we sat near them in class or 
they were good at sport and so were we or something that now as adults has no bearing you'd never choose your friend based on them being good at netball or whatever but so yeah I suppose that sort of lends itself when a book has this level of success at, at the beginning sometimes it's also lined up by tv companies and I wondered if anyone had been coming calling so far with with maybe getting it on screen oh not yet I mean I it does so. lend itself doesn't it I, I think so I think it would be a, a fantastic thing to I think with that sort of London scenery and the sort of luxe and no and I've, I've definitely got my dream cast of um <laughs> who I would have play them but no no knocks on the door yet so very much open to offers for anyone listening <laughs> yeah actually that's it, it raises the issue that Somebody described it as the rumour, which was a best-selling Sunday Times thriller, meets The Holiday. And I must admit, I've watched The Holiday more than once, the Kate Winslet Mm, Christmas one. And you can see how those, well, particularly The Holiday for me, I haven't read um, The Rumour, I must admit, you can see how it could play out. And well, So who are the people you'd like to see in the part? Oh, well, I would absolutely love Emily Blunt. I think she would be a fantastic Izzy. I sort of think of her in her Devil Wears Prada when she's sort of being very disparaging as the assistant and she's just got these icy put downs so I'd love to see her as Izzy and then who did I think for Beck I quite like Emma Stone I think she's got that sort of quirky lovability but then I think I'm probably I'm a lot fonder of of Beck than than your average reader (laughs) (laughs) and who about who would play Rob Oh, Rob. I love Rob. I don't know. Someone sort of beefy, maybe Chris Pratt, if he's, he's yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. yeah he'd be good. <laughs> yep, Rob, for people who haven't um, read the book, is his husband. Oh, no, Rob yeah. is. Oh, sorry, brother. he's the brother, Yes, it's, it? it's very confusing because I've got too many R's in there, but Rob is the brother and Rich is the husband. Oh, sorry, Rich is the husband. Yes, so who would you have Rich play? Do you do you have any thoughts? There's there? a British actor. He hasn't done anything for a little while. But he was in a Spooks. It was a sort of long-running TV series. I don't know if it made its way over. He's, a, he's an actor called uh, Rupert Penry-Jones, and he's very blonde. He's very tall and very well-spoken and confident and yeah, everything that sort of Rich is. So someone like that, I think, would be... Yeah, yeah, that's great. Look, moving on from talking about the specific book to your wider career, you did mention that you'd worked in Dubai and you were a journalist fairly wide in a number of countries. Mm. How has that helped you with your work in writing fiction? Well, I think as we talked about it, is that sort of learning to work to a deadline and organise yourself and then learning to, I think some people can perhaps be, and maybe again, it's a type of a book thing, which genre you're writing in, but I think some people can be a little bit precious about edits or they can take things quite personally. Whereas I'm very much, I do see that once the words are on the page and they've gone to my editor, they belong to both of us. So she could say pretty much anything to me. And actually, um, My Best Friend's Murder did go through some pretty uh, fundamental changes at that level. And I was completely open to taking them. I think I've sort of learned through being a journalist that there is a hierarchy and the editor is an editor for a reason. They do probably know better than you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's great. The next question I usually do ask is, what is the secret of your success? And perhaps that's also the same thing, your willingness to be open to change. Possibly, yeah. I mean, actually, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Or persistence, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's quite hard to come to terms with, that you've got to keep. There are very few overnight successes. And as I say, my best friend's murder, I've written an entirely different book and it's under the bed. And so 
had to start again and lots of changes. And actually the competition that I that I entered in Dubai, and it was the Emirates Literature Festival, in which it won, that was the third year I entered. I entered the um, first book I'd written in for uh, year one and year two and got nowhere, but I, I kept going. <laughs> Yeah, that's very much the the example of how an overnight success is very rarely ever quite that. Yeah. yeah that. Look, turning to Polly as reader, because this is the joys of binge reading, we like to cater for readers who follow through an author and read everything that they're, they're producing. Are you a binge reader and who do you like to read yourself? Oh, I'm definitely a binge reader. I've definitely got that kind of addictive personality. So if I like someone, I really like them. I will read everything. So there's an author called Geetha Lodge, who I absolutely love. She's written three books um, so far. They're all part of a series. Police procedural, but not too much of the sort of nitty gritty detail, because sometimes my mind sort of starts to glaze over at that point. But her first one is called Lie. She Lies in Wait. And then she has Watching from the Dark and then she has Lie Beside Me. And I love those sort of champing at the bit for the next one to come out. And and actually, that's with the sort of binge reading thing. I think when you discover a character that you love, you desperately want there to be another book about them. So there's a book that I read last year um, called The Hunted by Gabriel Bergmoser. Who, and it was a, it was a lot more actiony than I normally go for. But the main character Maggie was just so compelling, and he's got the sequel to that coming out. I think it's called The Inheritance, and I've already been contacting him on Twitter, and I made my husband read The Hunted, and yeah. So when I when I love it, I really love it. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. We are coming to the end of our time together. So circling around and looking back down the time tunnel of your of your writing career, at this stage, if you were doing it all over again, is there anything you'd change? Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know. Probably not. I mean, there's loads of things that I wish had happened differently, but I actually think that probably everything happens. Everything, I know it's really sort of, earnest to say but everything does happen for a reason and sort of takes you to the next step and you know I could say oh god I wish I wasted all my time on the first book you know two years of my life that went nowhere but probably did make even though it was a completely different genre probably did make the second book better I guess maybe have a bit more confidence in myself would would be one thing and sort of keep believing more quickly than yeah yeah can you let us know anything about the book that you've already completed book two is there anything you're able to say about that at all yes I can tell you loads about this because I haven't been told I can't I mean I sort of (laughs) often I read interviews or listen to interviews and people are very cagey but (laughs) so I'm not sure if I should be revealing but at this point I haven't been told I can't so it's called The Reunion it's another thriller but I sort of think of them as slightly domestic thrillers because they're not blood and guts and gore. It should be out next year. And it is the story of a woman whose life, a bit, bit like many of us, perhaps, she's in her mid to late 30s and life has not been as glorious and shiny as she thought it would be. And she holds, she sort of ties that all back to one key moment and event when she was at university where everything went terribly wrong for her one night and her life was never the same afterwards and at the beginning of the book she is on her way to a 15-year reunion university reunion and she hasn't been back since and she's finally going back and she's determined to wreak revenge on the people that she holds responsible for why her life did not turn out the way that she thought it should. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> is it set in the UK? It is. It's set at uh, Cambridge. So it's got that sort of intimate college feel and with lots of history. And yeah. Yeah, great. 
So what is next for Polly the writer now for the next 12 months or so? What are you looking forward to? So travel, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. I'm, as I said, I'm um, I'm about 25,000 words into my, the, the first draft of my third book, which is going to be about the sort of dynamics at play in, at the school gates, those mean mums that sort of strut about and think that they're parenting gurus and, and better than everybody else. And the sort of, um, the Machiavellian sort of tricks going on behind the scenes and it's going to start with a tragedy and then which will look back at who's responsible and and why and that sort of thing so I'm really excited about writing that I have actually probably shouldn't say this but we're all friends so I will last year my daughter was at a um, completely different school to the school that she is at this year so I definitely have lots of food for thought and lots of material so there's some some characters may I might have to put a disclaimer some people might recognize themselves (laughs) just looking forward getting out and meeting meeting readers I've, I've got a, the Margaret River Writers Festival coming up this weekend and just looking yeah just looking forward to getting out and about. Fantastic yeah so just to clarify for people we've got quite a few of our listeners are in the US Australia and New Zealand have had a much easier time of it I think Western Australia in particular you've had hardly any cases of COVID-19 I mean a few but you've kept it all very much under control haven't you? Yes we're in what I sort of think of as a bit of a gilded cage life is is very normal we've been lucky we've had a couple of lockdowns but they've been very short and sharp so we are living relatively normal lives but we just can't leave and not even to because of the state of my visa I'm only on a on a temporary visa because I'm English so we, we can't even come over to Sydney or, or Melbourne or so very much trapped within West Australia which is a safe and wonderful place to be but um, I am sort of champing at the bit to go somewhere else for a little bit at least. Yes, but you've had an international life up to this point, haven't you? Yes, yeah, Um, Mm. from London and lived in various different places. Look, it's lovely to hear you talking about meeting your readers this weekend. Where can they find you online and do you enjoy relating to them online? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's so nice. As I said, sort of right at the beginning, so it's probably quite good to sort of circle back to it towards the end of our time together. It's so amazing still to think that something that started, well, I was going to say in my head, but possibly in my school, but characters that I've largely <laughs> created, that, that people are reading them and enjoying them and identifying with them. So I absolutely love interacting with readers online and at the events that I've done. I'm on Instagram. I'm Perth Act um, Polly, which is a little play on the fact that I live in Perth that no one in Perth seems to get. And <laughs> I'm on Facebook as well with Polly Phillips author. And I'm on Twitter, although I'm not quite, I don't think I'm funny enough for Twitter. So I'm not on there that often. Great. And we'll have all those links in the show notes for the for the um, podcast when it's published. So people will have no trouble in finding them. Well, look, it's been fabulous talking today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed myself. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, 
cforcharlieaudioservices at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.